want you to take your scriptures and turn over to Luke chapter 7, Luke chapter 7, and uh, go to verse 36 and just hold that, and we're going to get to that scripture in just a second. And before we do, let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we surrender to you at this time, and we pray as we get into your word that we can, uh, to the best of our ability, uh, just to focus and try to comprehend what you have done for us on the cross and the amazing demonstration of love. Now, Lord, again, I thank you so much for worship this morning. Thank you for everything that you have done for us. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. I don't know if you've been following uh, these last few weeks, but we've been talking about steps. And in other words, if you were taking steps with Jesus Christ, and you were one of those early followers, and over those 22,000 miles that he traveled, if you were traveling with him, and you observed him up close and personal, what would be the things you'd walk away from and say, these are the things that matter to Jesus? Because if they matter to Jesus, they should matter to us. And one of the things that they picked up after time, is when Jesus encountered people, he always encountered people with love, unconditional love, love. I don't know if you're aware of this, but spring is only 23 days away. Can I have an amen? We're kind of spoiled. We've had a pretty good winter, but still, you know, when the temperature fluctuates like, I don't know, 80 degrees in a day, you know, it's going to be nice. The grass is green, the skies are blue, flowers bloom, uh, Couples get engaged, high school students go to prom on Saturday, then they break up on Monday. It's a great, it's a great time of the year. And how would you, if you could describe what it's like when you're in love, and how would you possibly describe that? Well, I wanted to show you a movie clip because I think this is a good way, when you're in love, what you feel like. So we're going to run this for you. Right, that's it. Let's pray. <laughs> Man, love is it's just crazy. And try to describe what it's like to be in love. And what's sad is I think sometimes in our culture, we talk so much about falling in love as if that's the greatest. And falling in love is great, but you know what beats that? It's remaining in love. And you know what's even greater than that? It's when you realize how deeply Jesus loves you. Everyone here, if we could just try to comprehend how deeply he loves us, Imagine how that would change every day of our life. We may not be dancing like this guy, 
but we ought to be close. I mean, there ought to be something in us where somebody can say, are you in love? And you should say, I am, because Jesus Christ loves you, and he loves me. How would you describe love? Sometimes whenever I'm trying to find answers, I love to hear what kids say about love, and so these are a few responses on love. The first one is strategies for making people fall in love with you. This is from Dell, age six. Tell them that you own a whole bunch of candy stores. <laughs> this is what Camille says, how to make somebody love you. Shake your hips and hope for the best. <laughs> uh, she needs therapy. Anyway, uh, here's a kid that is going to get in trouble. Here's what he said. Tell your wife that she looks pretty, even if she looks like a truck. Whoa, <laughs> Ricky, you're grounded. All right. And then this is on love and marriage. Uh, this is from Glenn, age seven. If falling in love is anything like learning how to spell, I don't want anything to do with it. It takes too long. And then this is a great one. This is the last one. This is from Greg, age eight. Love is the most important thing in the world, but baseball's pretty good too. I love that kid. <laughs> love. It is complicated. But if you think about all of the things that they learned, those disciples, they learned how Jesus loved people. And so I want us to talk about love. Warren Worsby says this, truth without love is brutality, and love without truth is hypocrisy. Barbara Johnson said, and I love this, never let a problem being solved become more important than a person being loved. Love. Today we're going to look at Jesus. We're going to walk with Jesus and experience who he loved. And Jesus was very intentional on who he loved. First of all, Jesus loved the prideful. If you're taking notes, he loved the prideful. In Luke 7, verses 36 through 40, we see this remarkable story. And let me give you just a little bit of background. There's a Pharisee. We know him by name. His name is Simon. We don't know many of the Pharisees' names. We know Nicodemus. And now we know this guy named Simon. And he invites Jesus to his home. And this is what I love about Jesus. He knows what he's up to. He knows that the Pharisees at this time, they're trying to trap him. But he could care less. Even though he's prideful, Jesus has dinner with the Pharisee. And what we know is that when he enters this Pharisee's home, he is anything but polite because he has an agenda. He is prideful. Now, all of us know what pride can do. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Now, that word haughty means blatantly proud. But listen to the word pride again. It said, pride goes before, what's the word? Destruction. How many of you ever heard the phrase, prideth come before a fall? You ever heard that? Okay, that's not what the scripture says. It said pride doesn't lead to a fall. It leads to complete destruction. It can destroy your life. It can destroy the lives of all around you. The collateral damage from not getting pride in check is a devastating thing. Physically, we all know the difference uh, between a fall and total destruction. Uh, how many here have ever had an embarrassing fall in your life? Anyone? Good. Everybody raise your hand. Everybody's had one of those. Uh, uh, a few years ago, I was, it was raining, and it was lunch. I was hungry, and I just came bolting out the door. And you ever had one of those falls like where your foot catches like a little bit of ice or something, like it comes all the way over your head? So I did one of those, and I'm on my back. And the first thought was, did anybody see me? You know, I'm looking around. Nobody saw me. I get in the car. You know, I got big skid marks all over me. Change, come back after lunch. 
And then I thought, you know, the church has cameras. I wonder if they got that on camera. So I went up to the secretary and I said, hey, how far is that camera? And she goes, oh, I don't know. I said, well, let's rewind it. And praise the Lord, I was not on it because I thought that is going to get back to everybody. Now, how many of us, when we've had these ridiculous falls, uh, look around to see if anybody's looking, and we totally understand what it is to fall. We recover, we get up, but that's not what he's saying here. He said, if pride is left unchecked, it will potentially destroy your life from the inside out. That's what this Pharisee was dealing with. So much pride. And here he has the audacity to invite the Son of God into his home, and he doesn't even do the most basic things to show hospitality. He could care less that Jesus is actually in his home. In Philippians 2, it tells us that we are all to have the very attitude of Christ. And what was his attitude? He was a servant. He was one who walked in total humility. Years ago in the 1950s, there was a governor from the state of Massachusetts. I'm so proud of myself. And he was known for being kind of a humble guy. But uh, he was running for re-election and the governor of this fine state, and he was uh, traveling all day, and he hadn't eaten all day. So he went to this little town where they were having like a little homecoming deal, and, and uh, he got in line, and, you know, they were serving up the potatoes and the vegetables and the chicken, and he's, he's excited because he hasn't eaten all day. And as he goes to the line, he gets to the chicken, and the lady reaches over and puts one piece of chicken. And he looked at it and he goes, well, I, I've been out all day. Is there any way I could have a, another piece of chicken? And she said, no, it's one chicken, one piece of chicken per person. And he he really never did this, but he said, ma'am, do you know who I am? And she said, no. He said, I'm Christian Herter. I'm the governor of this great state. She said, do you know who I am? He said, no. She said, I'm the lady that deals with the chicken. You get one piece. Move on. (laughs) We all need, at times, a checkup, a pride checkup. We all need those times in life where we know we've strayed and we know we're a little too full of ourselves and we need to get a handle on it. Pride is seriously a terrible thing. What pride does, and many times it determines not only our attitude, it is our altitude. And what I mean by that is how many times you see people climbing the ladder of success, striving to be the top dog, reaching upper level management, doing whatever it takes to be the king of the hill, and removing as many people behind him and leaving him as many people hurt as possible because what? Pride. I love what John Maxwell says, that the problem is people have uphill hopes and they have downhill habits. And a downhill habit is when you are self-centered and it's when you allow pride to drive your decisions. And Jesus never did that. Matter of fact, here's how we know that the Pharisee was so prideful in those first few verses, 36 through 40. There are three very traditional customs when anybody is invited into your home. Number one is you uh, give them water to wash their feet because they would always take their sandals off, and so you give them water to wash their feet. The second thing is you greet them with a kiss, usually a kiss right on the cheek. It's just a hospitality. And then you would anoint them usually with common oil, like olive oil. They would sometimes put it in their hair. It was just something to cool them off. That's what everybody would do. And what's interesting, he doesn't even do that for Jesus. It's almost as if he dismisses Jesus. Like, come on in, sit down. We got some questions to hit you with. And you can see right away how prideful he is. 
Even the very question of Jesus, like uh, later on when we're going to talk about this woman that comes in, his only question is, aren't you a prophet? I mean, how could you be this kind of man if you are truly a prophet? That is the epitome of pride. Now, here's what I've learned in my life. I guarantee some of you have learned the same thing about pride. You can either deal with it yourself or you can let God deal with it. Now, let me just recommend that you deal with it yourself because when God deals with it, it is not pretty. Would you agree? Anybody here ever been humbled? I mean, severely humbled because of your pride? Years ago at this church in Illinois, uh, it's just funny. I think some people have a really weird concept about ministers and their families. Uh, and this lady one time was asking, like, what is it like you know, when you guys have lunch on a Sunday afternoon? And I could just tell by the way she asked it that she had this really weird thought, like, you know, ministers, like, I come in and the, the kids take my shoes off, you know, and maybe I sit around the table and they're like, oh, Papa, that was such a good sermon. You know, I mean, I don't know what she was thinking, but I'm like, I'm like no, no, we're just kind of normal. I said, actually... And to be honest with you, my kids are pretty brutal. You know, when I come home on a Sunday afternoon, I mean, if I tell a story about any of them and I get any of the facts wrong, they're like, you weren't even close. Like, you didn't even get the right kid in that, you know. And they'll just say, oh, that, that was the lamest joke. Or, you know, they just do everything to build me up. It's just great. <laughs> so I had this one Sunday, and I, it was about, a, I don't know, half a mile or so from the church. And I was walking home one Sunday, and it was this wasn't a bad sermon, you know, I thought it was okay. And on the way home, there's a couple from their yards from the church. And they're like, hey, John, that was really good this morning. I'm feeling pretty good. I walk in the door and I sit down and boy, they come at me, you know, oh, dad, that was so lame, that joke or whatever. So I looked at my oldest daughter, Rachel, you always want to pick off the oldest one. I looked at her and I'm like, do you think Billy Graham's kids say that to Billy? And my daughter goes, you're not Billy Graham. <laughs> so uh, she was grounded and that was just the end of that. God will humble us. In all seriousness, this morning when you came, you may be struggling with some areas of your life right now, and you're like, you know what? I've been kind of prideful. Maybe this is a week where you think, man, I have been motivated by nothing but uh, myself. I've been so inwardly focused. And again, that's what the problem is here. But isn't it awesome? Jesus loves us even when we're battling our own pride. Even with all of the faults of the Pharisee, Jesus still had dinner with him. But here's what I love the most. Jesus loves the broken. Jesus loves the broken. Look at verse 40 and down to verse 50. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. There are two people. They owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And that interesting? Now, Simon was thinking he was going to corner Jesus, and Jesus corners him. Simon replied, I suppose the one who had a bigger debt forgiven. He said, you have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with the tears. She wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me anything. You didn't meet me with the kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. 
You didn't even put oil on my head, and she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Right there, Jesus is teaching Simon probably the most valuable lesson he'll ever learn, and that is his motives. Jesus knew, you invited me here, not out of love, but out of your pride. But she came out of here, not out of her pride, but out of her humiliation, she fell at my feet. And the most basic things you didn't even do. You didn't give me water for my feet, and she, she just literally cried and kissed my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil, the most basic common oil. And what did she do? She took this beautiful alabaster jar. This is probably all that she owns. And she took the most expensive perfume, probably worth a year's wages. And she anointed my head with oil. She gave everything. And on top of that, think of the humiliation when she stepped into this room with all of you. Matter of fact, Jewish custom tells us the very fact that she came into that home and her hair was down. Uh, the Jewish tradition was, number one, a rabbi never spoke to a woman. And number two, a woman never wore her hair down unless she was in an intimate relationship with her husband or she was a prostitute. So the very fact that she let her hair down and walked in that house, that was her way of saying, I'm as broken as any human being you'll ever meet, and I'm going to fall at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus said, Simon, who do you think God understands right now? Who do you think God loves right now, it's her. Because in her brokenness, in her humility, she is so real and you're so fake. If only Simon could have learned that one lesson. It's a lesson that all of us need to learn. See, all of us know that when we're in love, we're willing to do just about anything. Sometimes borderline crazy things. There's a guy in Russia that I read about. His name is Alexei Baikov. Now, Alexei wanted to, uh, wanted to have a proposal of the ages, so he hired actors and a director, if you can believe this, and then this is what he did. He, he had his future fiancé meet him at a certain location, but he set it up as if there was an accident and he was in the accident, okay? So he wanted it to look like he was killed in this car wreck, and so when she hysterically approached him, he stood up and then got on one knee and proposed to her. That's just not a real sharp guy, okay? Now, of course, that went viral, and a lot of people began asking, asking Alexi, like, seriously, what were you thinking? And here's what he said, I wanted her to realize how empty her life would be without me, and how life, how her world would have no meaning without me. Now, how many of you women would have backed over him with the ambulance right there, right? Okay, <laughs> see what I'm saying? But this is what's crazy is we will do just about anything in the name of love. And that's why she was driven that day. She realized the only thing, the only thing in my life that could possibly give me hope is Jesus Christ. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes, even to fall at his feet. What are we willing to do to have that kind of love? Matter of fact, I want you to look at verse 44. It's a pivotal verse because 
Simon, whose head now is spinning, he just can't imagine this scene. Uh, the humiliation, all of his friends sees this prostitute at the feet of Jesus. Jesus reprimands him, and then Jesus walks over to her, and basically it's as if he turns her face towards him and says, do you see her? Now think about that. Do you see her? Well, what do you mean by that? This thing is, you didn't see a human being. You saw a prostitute. You didn't see somebody that God loves. You saw somebody that you would never allow in your house. You don't really see her. And I think of the times in my life, I don't see people. And my guess is you've had those times too. We walk right past people. We look through people. We don't really see people. We don't see people the way that Christ sees people. And brokenness, we're all broken. Everybody here is broken. Anybody that carries on as if they've really got their act together, it's just that. It's an act. Because we all desperately need to be at the feet of Christ. There's a wonderful book. It's called Love Does by Bob Goff. And Bob Goff says this, and I love this. Every time you see, a, every time you see people as ordinary, we turn the wine back to water. See, Jesus sees a miracle in everybody. He didn't see a prostitute that day. He saw somebody that was so broken that was willing to do whatever it takes. Matter of fact, do you remember what Jesus said? Your what? Faith healed you. Not the fact that you sacrificially gave so much. It's your faith. It's our faith. Are we willing to have the faith in Christ to love the way that he loved? In 2010, uh, the earthquake that devastated Haiti was horrendous. It was 7.0 on a Richter scale. 220,000 people died. 1.5 were displaced from their homes. What do you do in a situation like that? And there was a young man who was a photographer. Um, his name was Jeremy Kowar. And Jeremy decided that he was going to go to Haiti. So he took his gear and he took some markers and he decided that he would post one picture a day demonstrating that there was hope even in all this devastation and death. And so he would approach people and he would simply say, um, I'm going to give you a marker, take anything you want, and I want you to write a message that's going to go out to the world and I want you to just share that you're a survivor, but you can write anything you want. So one by one every day, people would take out a piece of rubble and they would write on it their message for the world. And I want to share with you my favorite picture. A couple that just got married, and if you look behind them, uh, there's the church, devastated. And he grabbed a plate and he wrote on there, love conquers all. That's the message. Love conquers all. That's what Jesus teaches everybody that's here today. You see, when people look at us and they say, what does it mean to be a Christian? It's not our building. It's not our services and programs. It's not our political stance. It's not our bumper stickers, magnets, or coffee mugs. They'll know we are Christians by our love. It's how we love one another. It's how we love the broken. It's how we love the prideful. It's how we love. That's what he wants all of us to do. He wants us to love that way.